Welcome to Season 4 of Ground Control Parenting with me, Carol Sutton-Lewis. I am so excited to return, now in partnership with iHeart and the Seneca Women Podcast Network. It means so much to have their support and to be lifted up by an organization supporting so many incredible women podcasters. To kick off my season, I sat down in conversation with the former mayor of Atlanta, the amazing Keisha Lance Bottoms. Since we spoke, she's been busier than ever and just recently announced her plans to join the Biden administration as the senior advisor for public engagement. Keisha chatted with me about how she approaches parenting her four children and how she made the active decision to protect her peace when deciding not to run for re-election. She is honest and candid in our conversation, and it was such a pleasure to hear from her in a way we aren't often able to, and to learn from her stories and advice. So glad to have you with us for this great new season, which starts now. Welcome to Ground Control Parenting, Mayor Bottoms. <laughs> Thank you, Kira. I'm so glad we are joining each other. It's a pleasure to be with you today. Thank you so much. And I'm so excited to have you here. You're so well known for your great work for the city of Atlanta and beyond, but I'm excited to talk with you about how you've managed to do all of this while raising four children. I'm sure that you have so much parenting wisdom to share. So let's get started. First, I want to ask about young Keisha Lance. I, I like to start out by talking about how people were parented because I think it certainly impacts the way that they parent. So tell me about young Keisha Lance, how you grew up. I know you have a sister and a brother. Where, where did you fall in that birth order? So I'm the youngest. I do have a sister and a brother and I, I have many half siblings that grew up in Chicago. So in my household, being born and raised in Atlanta, there was always a lot of activity because my mother is from a very large family that's still in the city. And my dad was an entertainer named Major Lance. And he believed in us experiencing all of the things that he experienced. So if he were packing up to go to New York or Chicago or London, we got to pack up and go too. And I remember oh. my mom always saying that, one of my sister's teachers said that our best education would be outside of the classroom and not to ever worry about us missing school because what we were being exposed to was so much greater. And you know, this mm -hmm. is, you know, early 1970s. So travel for, especially for African-Americans was, was not as prevalent then. Mm -hmm. So it really was a unique experience. We lived in London for almost two years. Those are my earliest memories. And then we moved back to the Collier Heights community in Atlanta, which is a historic African-American community in the city. And just a, a great village is what I call it. My life and my family's life took a turn when my dad went to prison when I was eight. So I, I describe it as two parts of my childhood. The, the first part was living the life of the Jeffersons. And the second part was more like the Evans family. <laughs> um, and then, you know, some other experiences sprinkled in between and beyond. But it's made me the person I am today. And I grew up in a very loving, supportive family. I couldn't have asked for a better family. Wow. Such an interesting adventure. I mean, you, you've described in interviews about the sort of the trauma, which we can all imagine, of being 
I think you were eight and, and having your father be taken away. You know, you joke about the Evans, but how did that shift the way that your family operated? I, I, you were, did you move around still after that or were you pretty much staying in Atlanta? Well, yeah, we did. So when I was born, we lived in the Kaya Heights area in Atlanta. It was a very stable, probably would be considered a middle, upper middle class neighborhood in Atlanta at that time. And, you know, two parent family with these extraordinary adventures and experiences. And because my dad was an entertainer, there was always somebody interesting coming to stay at our house and they would record in the basement. He had put a recording studio in the basement and he would take us to his shows and we would meet interesting people. Uh, so that was just extraordinary in and of itself. And then when you compare it with what happened with our family, and I've described it as the death of our family in many ways, because my dad went to prison. He struggled with addiction, I later learned, but um, he had begun selling drugs at some point when his career began to wane and he still had mouths to feed. So when we moved to London, he, uh, Elton John got his professional start playing for my dad. So my dad was, he wow. was a really big deal. Mm-hmm. And when you compare the first part of my childhood with the second part, moving from this very stable middle-class neighborhood to apartment complexes and my parents divorcing while my dad was in prison, my mother going to work, going from being a a full-time stay-at-home mom to working two jobs and going to cosmetology school at night. You know, it was just, it was a very different experience in existence. I transferred schools many times, but I always said that I wanted to meet back up with my friends that I left in my elementary school. Because at that time, if you moved 15 minutes outside of Atlanta, you may as well have moved to Chicago. You know, we didn't have cell phones and we just weren't connected in the way that we are connected. So thankfully, I was able to meet back up with my friends in eighth grade and continued eighth through 12th grade with these friends that I had left behind in second grade. And and many of these people are still my dearest friends today. Oh man, that is great. Tell, tell me about your mom with, it was just the three of you children living with your mom. Is, is that you and your brother and sister? That's right. And at some point mm-hmm. my, my mom did remarry <laughs> later on, but for the most part, it was it was just the three of us. And in terms of, or the four of us rather, the three the kids. Four of us, yes, three kids, yeah. right, right. And in terms of her her expectations of you guys, like your educational expectations, like her vision for how you should uh, grow up. How did she convey that to you? I mean, clearly you had a really wonderfully progressive education as a very young child because you could see the world. <laughs> you saw the world from a young age. But how did she focus on your academic work? Well, you know, my brother, sister, and I were very different. My brother probably was the smarter of the three, but he chose not to go to college. He ended up, he and my sister followed in my mother's footsteps and ended up going to cosmetology and barber school. And they worked in my mom's salon for many years. Mm. And I remember, you know, I would watch my mom stand on her feet for 12, 14 hours a day 
And I, I'm like, I don't want any parts of doing anything that I have to stand <laughs> and work like that all day because she all, you know, she was exhausted. And so I always knew that I would go to college. My mom had gone to college at Clark College right out of high school. And then she left early. And when she returned to college, when I was in kindergarten, I would go to classes with her because at that time, kindergarten Uh was half a day. So (laughs) that's a very long way of saying, Carol, you know, I think my mom supported us in whatever it was that we wanted to do. And for Mm -hmm. me, I wanted to go to college. That's not what my brother and sister did. I think she was more concerned just about us all being responsible, functioning adults. And for me, (laughs) Mm -hmm. I never once thought about not going to college and she fully supported Mm -hmm. that. And and then what took you to law school? Well, I ended up in law school really almost by a fluke. I was a journalism (laughs) major at FAMU. And at that time, I, I didn't like Tallahassee very much. It was a very small town and I just wanted to get back home. So if you are serious about pursuing a career in journalism, you've got to move, got to work your way up usually moving Mm -hmm. to small Mm -hmm. towns. And I didn't want to do it. So I was hanging out with some friends, some guys who were some Morehouse students, and they were all applying to law school. And I remember thinking, oh, okay, so we're doing that now? Oh, okay. Well, yeah. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Well, law school it is. (laughs) So I applied to law school. And, you know, really was a a way of of delaying probably my professional start. And But in the back of my mind, I was going to, one, I was going to be an entertainment attorney and I was going to go get all the money that the record companies had taken from my dad. And then I wanted to help people like my dad who had been in prison and I I felt, you know, had, had not gotten... A, a fair shake. So I had all kinds of dreams, but the one thing I was certain about, I did not want to go live in a small town. So uh, <laughs> it was just, it was just delayed, but I also wanted to do some legal reporting and work as a legal analyst. And I mm-hmm. thought having a law degree would be a, a great way to kind of jump the line and, and not have to live in Tipton, <laughs> Georgia. Tipton is a great place, by the right. way, but <laughs> right, right. as a 21-year-old college student, I couldn't appreciate that. <laughs> oh, man, that, that resonates so strong with me. I'll just take a quick second to tell you that I had no idea the parallel tracks we were on because similarly, I got to college and um, my father said to me, it's time to be have a doctor in the family. You need to be a doctor. And I thought, I went to one bio class. I was like, oh no, I can't do that. And so it's like, what am I going to do? And then some friends were talking about law school and there was a law school on campus. I was like, yeah, that's a good idea. Let's do law school. <laughs> and then similarly, I had interest in entertainment and I, I went to music and art high school where all the people around me were supremely talented and I was not. And I said, these people are going to need help because they're so focused on their art. They don't have time to really focus on any of the business transaction. So, so funny. I, of course, neither one of us actually ended up doing all that, but, <laughs> but we started out on the same path. <laughs> so, well, I'm, I'm glad I'm not the only one who made significant life choices based on nothing. <laughs> so that's good to hear. <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely. 
<laughs> so, so let's fast forward. Okay, so you're, you're a lawyer, you're doing these great things in Atlanta, you get married, and you decide to have children. And you, as you've said publicly many times, and your husband took the road to adoption, and you turned to it after several unsuccessful attempts to be pregnant. You say, and, and I love this line that I've read, that uh, you said you knew in your heart that your children were the ones to say yes to, which to me is sort of the greatest gift of adoption that you could sort of look at your children and say, yes, you come with me. How did you talk to each of your children about adoption? Did they all know pretty early on or does this, is there a moment in a child's life when it's best to talk to them about that? Yeah, so with, with our, our oldest son, I always felt that I didn't want anyone to know anything about him that he didn't know about himself. So obviously mm-hmm. there were so many people who knew that we had adopted this beautiful baby and uh, the natural time to begin speaking about it was when, you know, kids get to this age and they ask questions, you know, mm-hmm. about was I in your tummy? And so mm-hmm. that was a really natural point when he began to ask questions to begin sharing with him. Uh, but it's interesting. My youngest son has asked me, why did I tell everybody he was adopted? So, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know, their re- their responses and reactions have been very different in mm-hmm. his that question was one that I didn't expect. And I thought that the answers I'd given my oldest son would be satisfactory, but mm-hmm. my youngest son then just, no, he, he will make a great lawyer. He doesn't stop at <laughs> one answer. He had 12 more, um, which I won't get into because I don't want to get in trouble with him because he actually, he watches <laughs> and listens to everything that I do. So, um, yeah. <laughs> so, you know, that was always just a, this this good natural conversation point. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But as, you know, even when people have biological kids, they all have different personalities and, and mm-hmm. what works mm-hmm. with one doesn't work with all. So Right, right, right. I think it may be, I mean, I appreciate your youngest perspective, particularly I too was the youngest as you were. And so I, I understand their interest in sort of fitting in and sort of why rock the boat or why. But I, as you well know better than I, knowing is much better than knowing for the reason you told your first one. I mean, we've all heard about people that don't know and then they find out. So so yeah, he sounds like a really thoughtful young man. <laughs> he, he, he really is. And I, I remember with my oldest sitting in the kitchen with one of his friends one day and she said something to him about being adopted. And he said, I know that. And she looked at me and they were maybe six or seven. And she said, Miss Keisha, you told him. So in this kid way, you know, she was going to be the one to tell him. <laughs> and she, you know, she was going to drop the bomb <laughs> and was stunned that I had already told him. But those were the situations that I never wanted to have them experience. I didn't right. want anybody around them to know something they didn't know about themselves. Right, right, right. No, that that's wise. And and actually, that's a good segue into my next question series because I want to talk about parenting 
while you are running a city, parenting through the par- pressures of being a public elected <laughs> official and a mayor of a big city, because as your children, it becomes harder, I imagine, to protect them from things that they haven't heard already. <laughs> as I've mentioned, my father ran for office, but it was for a uh, judgeship. But my uncle ran for two offices in, in New York City, the last one being mayor. And I can remember as a young child feeling very conscious of all that meant in terms of what would hit the paper and the press wasn't always nice. So my questions in this vein come from a place of sort of knowing how tough it can get. So, but, but before I even get to that, I want to ask you generally, okay, you're the mayor of Atlanta. Every day you wake up to some new information about what's going wrong. <laughs> mm-hmm. How did you manage with respect to your own family to sort of keep with the parental perspective of, I don't want to alarm people, my children unnecessarily, how did you keep what was going on in the outside world from encroaching all the time in the household? Or did you always have to sort of tell them what was happening and then make sure they weren't as concerned as they could be? Well, given the ages of my kids, so my kids, you know, they've grown up four years is a long time in the life Mm -hmm, of mm -hmm. children. And it has been nearly impossible to keep information away from them, but I try and take every opportunity to put it into context. So, for example, going back to my youngest son, who is just an information junkie, there's a a local news station that really was not fair to me. And it's interesting that he picked up on that. Mm -hmm. Um, So I had the news on one day and he said, why do you keep watching this? He said, they're clowns and you keep showing up for the circus. And I thought, (laughs) well, (laughs) okay. Does he need a job as an advisor? (laughs) Yeah, I think he's been here before. He's 11. And I had the the television on one of the morning shows and they do the local news cut-ins. And he said, why do you keep watching this? I don't mind watching the morning show. Mm-hmm. And he said, but you keep watching. He said, you keep watching this station and they're not nice to you. I don't understand why you keep watching. So it's a good question, right? Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. What, I, what I have said to him and I say to my kids, you know, you're not going to be able to control what people say about you. And Mm -hmm. does it matter if what they say is not true? What does God say about you? What do you Mm -hmm. know to be true? But it's hard and they Mm -hmm. are taking it in. And we did the the parade. The Braves invited me to participate in the parade when they won the World Series. So we did part of the parade in Atlanta and people were cheering and they were so happy. And the kids were with me and we got into Cobb County, which is a little more red. Mm-hmm. And we would hit pockets of people booing. Mm. And my kids really got stuck. Some of them found it funny that I got mm-hmm. booed. And, you know, I would say they were split. And <laughs> two thought <laughs> it was hilarious. And then two were really concerned that I got booed. And mm-hmm. I said, mm-hmm. why do we care? I didn't, you know, if somebody wants to boo me, it comes with the territory. They're going to be people you're going to encounter in your throughout your entire life who aren't going to like you for any reason other than the fact that you exist. So mm-hmm. what can you do about it? So I, I always, when they come across information that's bothersome for them, and they do, whether it's watching the news or whether it's 
reading something or, or watching something. My daughter pulled up something the other day, an article that was completely not true. Mm-hmm, and she mm-hmm. showed it to me. I didn't even know she had come across this article. It was a blog from when I was campaigning and it was, you know, a smear campaign. Mm-hmm. But just, you know, saying, well, baby, they're, they're people who don't have anything better to do. And you don't meet those kind of people throughout your life. So mm-hmm. I just mm-hmm. always try and put it in mm-hmm. the context of what they will encounter in some form and hopefully they're paying attention. Going back to the parade, even when people booed me, I would blow a kiss. Mm-hmm. Or I would say, <laughs> I, I say, I love you too. You know, because <laughs> my kids were watching. Right. Just trying to show them that's how you respond to people. Never mind that 98% of the parade cheered when we came by. I mean, I'm their mom. So they were mm-hmm. bothered by the 2% that booed. <laughs> well, certainly those are high stakes circumstances, but really great parenting lessons that everybody can benefit from. I mean, it's such a great way to show your children how you can't control what people say and that they may not be in public office, but they will encounter circumstances where people say stuff they don't want to hear. To be able to demonstrate how you respond to that when it's on steroids is is a great a great parenting lesson for them and one I'm sure that will stick with them. <laughs> I mean Well it, we hope so. <laughs> <laughs> so actually you, you know you brought up the parade. That brings me to the, the flip side of that question. So we've talked about a potential disadvantage of being in the spotlight, but there are advantages to being the children of the mayor. <laughs> I mean you get to go to sit on a float with your mom in a parade. And I mean, I imagine there's all sorts of fun access that you get as the children of the mayor of the city. So my question for you is the the other end of that. How did you focus on sort of grounding them in the faces of all the opportunities they had to sort of meet people and have experiences that their peers might not have had? Well, just reminding them that this is pretty extraordinary and everyone doesn't get to experience these things. So, mm-hmm. you know, whether it's going to a basketball game and someone, you know, wants to sit on the floor, I'm like, do you know, 99.9% <laughs> of the children in America never even get to walk into the arena? Like, are you kidding me? <laughs> you know, just, I mean, and they're, and they're kids. Uh, So there's part of me, I love that it has increased their level of expectation, but also reminding them, we didn't just wake up like this. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. we have worked, my husband and I, really hard for you all to have these experiences and also reminding them and having conversations about school and, and their future. You all like a pretty extraordinary lifestyle. So if you want to continue that lifestyle, (laughs) then you better work really hard so you can make money to continue this extraordinary lifestyle that that you've come to to know and love. Um, And, you know, taking opportunities to just try and, and make sure that they're grateful. So when I was on city council, I did this a lot. I used to take my oldest son, especially with me to do community cleanups and, and, you know, taking the kids with me to do volunteer work, whether it's feeding the homeless or whatever the experience may be, trying to balance the two. So yeah, you get an extraordinary opportunity to go to the all-star game or to the, to 
the World Series in Atlanta, but there's also this extraordinary responsibility for you to show up and, and help feed the homeless and help mm-hmm. clean up the community too. We'll be right back after these messages. Welcome back to the show. So your tenure as mayor was marked with great accomplishments, but what a heck of a time to be in office. First, there's COVID, and then and then there's the George Floyd summer. There was a lot going on, and there was a lot going on for you as the mayor. But in addition to experiencing all this in terms of having to focus on how to help the many, many people you were responsible for, you then had this family at home you also had to focus on. So, I mean, with COVID, were all four kids schooling at home? And with George Floyd, did you have... I mean, and all that went on as a result of it, what kind of measure did you have to take to sort of put on your parenting hat and make sure that they were as okay as they could be while you were looking out for the city of Atlanta? So what was really interesting about COVID, and you know, we, we know there were so many people experiencing the absolute worst of circumstances. But the irony for us as a family, we spent more time together than we mm. have ever spent together in the existence of our family. I'd never spent that much time at home with my three younger kids in their entire lives. Mm. So when my oldest came, I took time off, I worked part-time, but really by large, a stay-at-home parent, I didn't want to miss a beat. The second Mm -hmm. one came, not so much. I ran for office the year that he was born. And by the time the twins came, I didn't take a single day off when they came. I just (laughs) kept it moving. Mm -hmm. So this was the most amount of time that the six of us had ever spent together. So I really appreciated that time together. I hated that it was at the expense of what Mm -hmm. so many people were experiencing. But it also meant being very structured about getting them up, getting them logged into school, making sure that I could sit down and um, you know, in those early days when we weren't moving around at all and, and working with my team and making decisions on behalf of the city. So I, I did it in a more public way, but I did what every other parent with school age kids did mm-hmm. during that time. We just did what we could do, the mm-hmm. best that mm-hmm. we could do. And I just remember thinking, my gosh, lunchtime comes this early. Because as soon as I get them up, get breakfast, get them. And prior to COVID, my mom was coming every morning to help get the kids out the door and fix breakfast. So it was my husband and I. So by the time I got breakfast, got them logged in, sat down to work, somebody was knocking on the door. It was like, we're hungry. It's lunchtime. I'm like, it's 1045. It can't be lunchtime. <laughs> But it was. <laughs> that was, a, that was a, rough, a rough time. But, you know, uh, people were dealing with, with far worse. And for right. for me, it gave me a, a perspective and just probably even more patience and understanding with my team. Mm-hmm. We had employees who were navigating the same way that I was navigating, but we were all still running a city. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. people across America were trying to to juggle those same responsibilities, just not on CNN and not with the responsibility <laughs> of 
half a million people in the city. <laughs> oh yeah, that. <laughs> that yeah. So, but and I then, can tell you that was a lot easier than virtual learning. <laughs> so. <laughs> Well, yeah, I'm sure that's right. I, um, by the, during COVID, my kids were already in college and out, so I was spared that. But ooh, I had great, great empathy for the moms who just had to sit at the computer or make their children do so. Ooh. So, and then comes the horrible George Floyd murder and all the reaction to that. And you've got four black children that you've got to sort of help understand. And, and a city, but also at home, you've got children that you've got to talk to about this and, 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 and of varying ages. I mean, I imagine your oldest was pretty cognizant, but the youngest ones, I mean, it must have been, was it a family discussion or did you have to talk to them all individually? It had to have been individual. I don't remember mm -hmm. sitting them all down. And my oldest son was in the class of 2020, that senior class that mm. experienced disruptions, you know, mm -hmm. March, their senior year came home one day and never went back to school. So, mm. you know, dealing with all of that mm -hmm. too, with kids and my son at that time was 18, it was, or 17 turning 18. It was just a, not a good time period for mm -hmm. kids of a certain age. And then going into the summer, and I remember my son, my son was out somewhere and I touched on this, the speech that I gave May 29th. I was in touch with our police chief. We could see what was happening around the country, getting updates, you know, asking what were we seeing and hearing as it related to protest in Atlanta, because by that time we had, we had all witnessed this tragic murder. We had all seen the footage by mm -hmm. that point. And, um, talking to my son, going, where, where are you? Mm, mm -hmm. Just feeling so helpless as a mother, as the mayor, that, you know, it, we none of us could make sense of mm -hmm. what we witnessed with George Floyd. Mm -hmm. And on top of that, worrying about where my son was, what what could possibly happen to him, Mm -hmm. And knowing that things were so volatile across the country that there was not a single thing that I could do to protect him as his mother. And I couldn't do anything to protect him as the mayor mm. because there were so many things that that we just weren't in our control. The only mm -hmm. thing that mm -hmm. I could do to protect him was to ask him to please come home. Mm -hmm. and, and not be out because we didn't know what to expect in the streets at that point. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that it, it is such a so many traumas on top of traumas. I mean, we that we are s still experiencing, which which actually leads to my next topic, which is the mental toll that all of this has taken on us as a nation, us as a people. And you have talked about this is a segue into your uh, deciding not to run again. And you've talked about your decision not to run for your, for re-election as a decision to step back and protect your peace. And I have to tell you, when I read that, I just stopped because to protect your peace is such a wonderful way to describe that need. And all of us can so identify with that. And you've also talked about how as women, 
we don't often stop to adjust the S on our chest. I mean, we just keep going. And again, it resonates so strongly with, with me, with parents, particularly with Black women parents. Can you talk a little bit about how you've come to find how important it is to protect our peace as, as Black women and mothers and, and how tough it is for us to do that? Oh, gosh, it's so hard. There are so many expectations that are placed upon us and this belief that we really are superhuman. Mm-hmm. And in many ways, we are. But the reality is, is that we all have capacity. We all have a, a limit. And I've heard people say, you know, 2020, the great resignation. I think it's the great reevaluation. And for me, that's what it was. Like, mm-hmm. what do I want? Mm-hmm. How can I be my best? And a real turning point for me, I did a press conference and a, a young woman had been killed, a teenager in the city. And I had maybe two reporters reach out to me afterwards, privately, as a check-in. There was something they saw on my face, something they heard in my voice that let them know that I was very unhappy. Beyond this tragic Mm -hmm. murder, there was Mm -hmm. something else that they saw. And I remember being floored because I knew at that time what I thought and how I felt, but I had no idea that I was now projecting it. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. at the point that I was projecting it, I thought, okay, we got to step back and and Mm reevaluate, see where this is headed. And it was really hard because of these expectations. You know, in Atlanta, our, our mayor's were our celebrities. They they were royalty. They represented the best of who we all are as Black America. And so to have this dream job and then admit to myself, I no longer wanted it. Mm -hmm. It Mm -hmm. was difficult to admit it to myself, but also difficult confronting the disappointment that I thought so many other people would have. But again, Mm -hmm. going back to 2020, when you're watching so many people die and we, you know, I, I had a friend who died and just, Mm -hmm. you know, there was just so much confronting us. And, and I just had to have this really honest conversation with, with myself and with my family about how I felt. I knew that Mm -hmm. I could do it. My poll numbers were great, which was really mm-hmm. extraordinary because it had been a really nasty 2021. Mm-hmm. My mm-hmm. poll numbers were close to 70%, which is pretty unheard of for a, a mayor, mm-hmm. an urban mayor. I was raising money. The president hosted a fundraiser for me. So in one fundraiser, I raised like $500,000. I knew that wouldn't be a problem. Mm-hmm. I knew I could do it. But, you know, again, what do you tell your kids? Just because you can do it, that means you should do it. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And the idea of serving as mayor for another four years was not one that was very appealing to me. And when I look back, I'm very big on tracking data and metrics. So we were constantly tracking. We had gone through and created the spreadsheet. Every single thing I said in my inauguration address Everything I committed to, we were constantly tracking and I just saw the checks and they were checking off, checking off. So I knew I had done what I set out 
to do as mayor. And for me to run again, I would have to have that that same desire and energy and a completely new agenda for the next four years. Or I could say voters get to decide every four years. Guess what? I get to decide too. (laughs) There's a reason this is a four-year term. So walk out with your head up. Mm-hmm. With walk out with with the list complete, put a period on it, and then um, anticipate what the next season will be, and that's what I chose to do. So I'm stopping because the word brave just comes to mind. It just seems like, you know, you said something that I actually had written down as one of my own lessons of your your move, and that is just because you can doesn't mean you should. And I think that I mean that's such a a great thing to remember for everyone because we're so, you know, we continue to climb ladders without just looking ahead, not looking around. And it's really important that we just take a minute. Again, protecting our peace is just like, I'm going to just borrow that. <laughs> and it's good for me personally. It's also great for parents. I, I can feel it and I read about it and I sense it with friends. They're just losing as they continue to be some sort of, bombard, as we all continue to be bombarded with the demands of this pandemic, on top of all the rest of our own demands, it's hard for parents to keep going. I mean, it's hard to acknowledge that this is taking a toll on us on our mental wellness. And so I think it's really this season of my podcast, I'm really focusing on parent wellness because there's so much for parents that that we have to do. I think it's really important that we remember, particularly now, that we need to just stop and take care of ourselves because, you know, that S on your chest is not going to help you if, if, you know, the kryptonite of the real world gets through and and, and takes you out. And, you know, Carol, as you were talking, I just thought thought about how we began the conversation talking about the decisions we made to go to law school. Mm-hmm. So for me, that was at 21. I made this decision not based on anything other than everybody else was doing it. And, and yeah, so I'll do it too. And shame on me if at 51, I made that same decision. Mm-hmm. And I remember towards the end of my term telling my husband, I said, I, I feel like a hamster on, on a wheel mm-hmm. that I get up to run as fast as I can on this wheel. And then I stop to lay down so I can get up and run on it again. And I don't think that's a way for anyone to exist. <laughs> um, it's not sustainable. And, and I could also, I could look at pictures of me and I could see the toll that it was taking. I could, the problems, back problems and things that I never had Mm -hmm. before. Mm -hmm. Physically, I was, I could feel myself breaking down because Mm -hmm. it's, and again, that's my job as mayor. There are a lot of people who have really, really stressful jobs Mm -hmm. and don't Mm -hmm. have even an iota of the support that I had as mayor. But we we see people who die early from heart disease. My dad died at 55. Mm. And I turned 52 in January. I often began to think at some point before I made the announcement, if I had four more years on this earth, how and where would I want to spend those four years? Mm-hmm. And um, I'm, I'm grateful that I had the ability to make the decision. I know a lot of people don't have that mm-hmm. ability. Mm-hmm. They don't have the choice to 
leave their job. And some people said, you quit. I'm like, no, I decided not to run again. Mm-hmm. I signed mm-hmm. up for four years mm-hmm. and I stayed until the very end, working my tail off until the very end. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. I looked at a picture yesterday. I was in City Hall for an event and I stopped in to see our, our new mayor. And I was laughing with my mother. I'm like, do you recognize her? Like, I remember, I remember that lady because I look different because the stress of not being there is gone. And, and I want to be clear, I could handle the stress. Mm-hmm. People do it every day. I, I did it every day. So it's not about an inability to handle it. It's about how do you want to be your best self? How can I be my best self for me so that I can be my best self for my husband and for my kids? Absolutely. Yeah, I, I definitely, I want to second that because it's not a question of ability or inability. It's a question of the ability to look beyond whatever this immediate thing is just because you can do it and say, to your point, that sure, I can do this, but I could probably do a lot of other things much better. And why not do the things that you can do better? <laughs> and and so I I applaud this and I'm really, I'm grateful to you actually for, I'm glad that you did this, but I'm also grateful to you for talking about it because it's really important in the concept of, of wellness to talk about this, to to focus on the importance of taking time for yourself and making sure, you, you've said in an article I read about how you've applauded sports figures and people who have very publicly stepped away. The difference is that you actually did what you set out to do. I mean, not to take anything away from them. They had to step down before they could meet a challenge and you were, you met the challenge. And so it seems that it's even a stronger case for doing that. So just one final question on this. So how did your kids react when you told them that you weren't mm-hmm. going to run again? <laughs> two, two of the four were happy. <laughs> so <laughs> my oldest, my 19 year old and my twin daughter who often pair up together. <laughs> We're like, what? Why would you do that? What does this mean for us? <laughs> and my 13-year-old and my twin son, um, in keeping with their personalities, were, mommy, we just want you to be happy. Whatever mm-hmm. makes you happy. And my 11-year-old son is now very happy that (laughs) I take him to school every day and I go to basketball practice four times a week (laughs) for two hours with him. (laughs) So he doesn't even care if I come in the gym, I can stay in the car. The fact that I am there makes him happy. Oh, good, good, good. That's good. And if there comes a day when you are not able to do that for whatever reason, you can remind him (laughs) that this is to remember how good this is. (laughs) Absolutely. And I I keep saying, um, I told him, I said, hey, you know, I got to get back to work. So (laughs) I'm going to do this as long as I can, but... I don't want to create any expectations that this is going to last through senior year of high school. Right. right. Every moment counts, though. <laughs> okay, so so Mayor Bottoms, I'm I'm going to have to wrap it up here. But first, I want to say thank you so much. Thank you so much for coming and uh, joining me and talking with us. It's been a wonderful conversation. And I'm sure that parents listening really appreciate your really valuable and, and important advice 
and hearing about your experiences. But before you go, there's one final thing that I'm going to ask you to do, a very quick GCP lightning round. It's a bonus round. And um, I just want to ask you a few questions. I ask all my guests these questions. And so if you're ready, we, I can just rapid fire you. You ready? <laughs> so just the answers, no explanations, just answers. Yeah, just right? answers. But they're really, they're pretty, okay. they're really simple. Um, okay. Uh, okay. So the first one is, what is your favorite poem or saying? or one of them? If I don't define myself for myself, I will be crunched into other people's fantasies for me and eaten alive, Audre Lorde. Ooh, I love that. <laughs> that is great. <laughs> okay, and what are your two favorite children's books? And they can be one you grew up with or books, or and one you read to your kids or two books that you read to your kids. Little Red Riding Hood, because I memorized it and my teacher thought I could actually read. And uh, <laughs> Please, Baby, Please, because oh. I used to read it all of the time to my kids. And I just, it's such a beautiful book. It is. It is. And that's our girl, Tanya. She's been a guest yes. on the podcast. Yay, Tanya. Now, these two may require a little explanation, but not much. What mom moment would you just love to do over? And you don't have to go that deep, but just anything that you just, if you had a do over, you would have done it differently. I would have made my kids sit in Sunday school more <laughs> and I would have been much more adamant that they do Saturday morning chores before they <laughs> did anything else on the weekends. Here, here, I should say, amen. I feel exactly the same way about those two things. <laughs> I ended up having to homeschool Sunday school because they ultimately wouldn't even sit in the Sunday school classroom. So <laughs> yes, <laughs> I would love do-overs on that too. <laughs> and then finally, give me a moment that you just nailed it as a mom, you just like, you knew you got it right. <laughs> um, when, when I said yes to our four kids, when oh. they said yes to us and we said yes to them. That is the perfect, that's a great, great answer. Thank you so much. Ah, oh, great answers. Great talk. Great woman. Thank you again so much for being with us today. Oh, thank you so much for this. This is so important. Um, for so many parents across the country. So I, I appreciate your lending your voice to this and thank you for including me in the conversation. I'm honored. I hope everyone listening enjoyed this conversation and that you'll come back for more. Please rate, review, and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts and tell your friends. For more parenting info and advice, please check out the Ground Control Parenting blog at groundcontrolparenting.com. You can also find us on Instagram and Facebook at Ground Control Parenting and on LinkedIn under Carol Sutton Lewis. This episode of the Ground Control Parenting with Carol Sutton Lewis podcast has been sponsored in part by Paramount. The Ground Control Parenting with Carol Sutton Lewis podcast is a part of the Seneca Women Podcast Network in partnership with iHeartMedia. Until the next time, take care and thanks for listening.